All right, welcome. We're going to get started. This is the breakout on why your friends are more important than you think. If that's not what you're looking for, that's what you found. Why your friends are more important than you think. We're on page 28 of the packet. My name is Peter Kroll. I serve in, mostly in the headquarters of our ministry in State College, though I travel around a fair amount as president of the ministry. Uh, it's a privilege to be here with you all. And I just found out that Kyle over here worked with my sons this past summer at summer camp. So really fun, fun time. But we're here to talk about friendship. During my teenage years, I had quite a variety of experiences with friendship. There was John, who was a fellow counselor with me at my summer camp, where I worked, which was not Camp Susquehanna. I'm sad to say. It's a much better camp, Susquehanna is, than the one I was involved in. Uh, John was a young man who showed me faithful affection through good times and bad times. He stuck with me as a friend. He challenged my thinking about the scriptures. He showed me how to live consistently as a Christian. And largely, uh, on account of his influence, I stopped swearing in my daily language. This guy just had this influence on me. I started reading my Bible and praying more consistently. And I cared about helping the people around me come to know Christ and to grow in him. That's the sort of ways John rubbed off on me at a pretty determinative time of my life. By contrast, during those same years, I had another group of friends where bickering, ridicule, and gossip were the order of the day. That was how these friends operated. It was hard to get in with this group of friends. And once you were in, you had to be really careful not to run afoul of the group, lest you end up pretty quickly back out. And so when I was around them, I felt like I had to constantly protect myself from getting hurt. Such friendships caused me to look constantly inward and to care quite a bit about myself. These contrasting experiences I had as a teenager with friendship, they, they illustrate what biblical friendship is all about and what the Bible says about this topic. Because often we think of friendship as something almost random or spontaneous, as though either you click with someone or you don't. And that's all there is to it. But the book of Proverbs that we're going to focus in here for the next 45 minutes, it pictures friendship as perhaps the clearest indicator of a person's pursuit of wisdom. In other words, your choice of friends is not coincidental. Your choice of friends is not neutral. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your odds at ever gaining wisdom. That crucial link is the main idea this morning. Show me your friends, and I'll show your odds at ever finding wisdom. 
that's where we're heading. Let me pray for our time together. Father in heaven, thanks so much for giving us your word and uh, guiding us in the truth of your ways. I pray that you would strengthen us and encourage us, equip us to walk with you and to benefit from this incredible blessing that you have built into the world that you've given us in by way of friends and friendship. Draw us closer to you and help us to be wise and not foolish. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to do is show you the direct connection between friendship and wisdom. Hey, that's where we're starting, point number one. Those whom a person chooses for friends are the clearest indicator of whether that person is heading toward wisdom or toward foolishness. Okay, let's start in Proverbs 13, verse 20. All the texts are printed for you there on page 28. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So right there, the choice is clear when it comes to friendship or companionship. Your friends foreshadow your fate. If your companions are wise, you will become, what's it say? Wise. If your companions are fools, then what? You will suffer harm. It's as simple as that. And I think it's clearly implied here that the role of friends in our lives, it goes farther than merely foreshadowing our fate because what we will see in the book of Proverbs is that your friends are actually most likely to be the agents of bringing that fate to fruition. Wise friends will actually make you wise. And foolish friends will actually cause you harm. Why is that? Well, it's because in the book of Proverbs, what it means to be wise is that you're moving closer to the Lord. You're approaching him. You're drawing nearer to him. And when your friends are wise and they are on a journey, on a life's journey toward the Lord, you can't help but join them on that journey. They will bring you with them. But fools in the book of Proverbs, the definition of a fool is a person who cares only for themselves. It's someone who's moving ever and ever more intimate and close with themselves, listening to their own heart and following their own desires. And because fools care only for themselves, if you have fools for friends, you will eventually draw the short straw. You will run afoul of their selfish desires and you will be subject to backstabbing if you ever get in the way of their desires. For example, companions who are willing to cheat on a test will expect you to support them in that. And you know what happens, right? If you refuse to cheat, if you stand out and you won't go there, or let's say they want to fudge reports in the workplace, lie to the employer about how many hours were worked, and you refuse to do it, or you refuse to to steal from contractors, such friends 
will turn against you instantly. And you become the enemy. You become the fool in their sight because you're wrecking everything that they're trying to do. Come on, man. Come on, girl. Just be cool about this. (laughs) So if your parents ever told you not to hang out with a group of troublemakers, they were speaking wisdom. They were not just trying to ruin your fun. They were trying to help you mature as a person and hopefully help you mature in the Lord. Now, Proverbs 13.20 is merely descriptive. It's just describing the situation. It's predicting what's going to happen. This next verse, 14 verse 7, actually issues a direct command. It tells us what to do. Leave the presence of a fool. For there you do not meet words of knowledge. So you see, what you will find in the presence of a fool is emptiness, selfishness, and harm. It is not worth it to you to be around them if you want to grow in the knowledge of your God. So the link between friendship and wisdom is a very tight link such that you can show me your friends and I can show your odds at ever finding wisdom. So please choose your friends wisely. This raises a few questions, doesn't it? Maybe the the biggest one, the most common one I've heard from people is, What about the question of outreach? Especially if if I'm a Christian, I want to walk with the Lord. If I want to reach out to non-Christians, isn't the heart of that the befriending of people who are not already moving toward the Lord? Thereby, they're, they're currently fools, but we wish something better for them. How do we reconcile the command here in Proverbs 14, 7 to leave the presence of a fool with the command that Jesus would give in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations? The main answer to that is that when Proverbs talks about friendship or companionship, when those words come up, keep in mind that it's not necessarily talking about all human associations. Of course, even Jesus himself was known as a friend of sinners, and we've been learning about that already this weekend. Jesus was unafraid to hang out with people upon whom a pious religious society frowned. But at the same time that Jesus was spending time with sinners... The last two verses of John chapter 2 tell us that Jesus did not entrust himself to most of the people he met in the course of his ministry because he knew what was in their hearts and he knew what they would do with his precious goods. There were a select few whom he drew into his confidence, those to whom he entrusted the precious goods of friendship intimacy, real closeness. So there is a difference that I want to make between association with people and what Proverbs calls friendship, like that close 
camaraderie, the sharing of hearts, the walking together through life. And so by commanding us in 14.7 to leave the presence of a fool, Proverbs is not telling us to have no dealings with fools or never speak with them. Proverbs is not even telling us to not build affectionate relationships with them. Instead, Proverbs is advising us to reserve the depths of vulnerability and trust, those things that are crucial aspects of close friendship. Reserve those things for true friendship with the wise who won't turn it against you and bring you to harm. So by all means, please continue getting to know everybody around you. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, you don't follow Christ yet or consider yourself a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. And we want to help you find him. And so we build bridges, develop genuine affection. So I'm not talking about false relationships or play-acted relationships, but true and genuine affection and care for people. Introduce folks to Christ in hope that one day they can become true, wise, and perhaps eternal friends. So we see the profound effect our friends have on our pursuit of wisdom. Our friends are perhaps the closest indicator of whether we will find wisdom, whether we will grow closer to the Lord. Let's take a closer look at what Proverbs has to say about what sort of friends we ought to have. Okay, you see this connection, but what does it mean? How do I decide? How do I recognize whether this person would make for a wise friend or a foolish friend? Who will help me to grow in wisdom and who is more likely to bring me to harm? So in these next two points, we'll talk about the folly of bad friends and then the wisdom of good friends. We'll start with the bad friends. One thing that really strikes me is that the book of Proverbs, which is a book all about wisdom, it practically begins very early in the book with a warning about bad friends. Right after commanding his his readers to listen carefully to instruction, that's how the book starts, the author commands in chapter 1, verse 10, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Don't go with them. Don't go along with it. And there follows from this for 10 verses a poem particularly on the dangers of greed. Those are the kinds of sinners he's talking about here. It talks about those who are greedy, prone to violence, those who are willing to harm people in order to get more stuff or to get more fame, whatever they can get out of it. And he says, watch out for that kind of person because they will devour themselves in the end. And if you're with them, you'll be caught in the trap as well. So watch out for greedy people. Sooner or later, they are going to turn that greed against you. This concern with avoiding bad friends is a very early one in the book of Proverbs. The warnings that go on, they're not just regarding greed or the potential for violence that he talks about here. I want to look at a bunch more passages, but I want your help. So I got us started talking in some connections. I would love to have someone read uh, the verse. We're going to do the next one, 22, 24 to 25. And then we're going to ask you, who is the bad friend here and why are they a bad friend? OK, 
Okay, that's where we're gonna go in the next few, few selections. Who is the bad friend and why are they a bad friend? Can I have someone please read nice and loud Proverbs 22, 24 and 25? And Lincoln has a mic, go ahead. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Great. So who is the bad friend here? What kind of person? Angry, wrathful people. Says it right there. Make no friendship with them. Okay, why are, according to this passage, why are angry, wrathful people bad friends to have? Go ahead. Yep, they can make sinful decisions. Okay, Lincoln does have the microphone. That'll just help everyone to hear. Go ahead, you have something in the back? Influence you. They can influence you. Influence you how? Poorly. Poor. Okay, what does this say? What does this verse say about how an angry friend will influence you? Um. Chad. Basically, basically, we become more angry like they are. Basically, it says snare, so therefore, you, they like basically, you just they translate an injury onto you. Okay. They will influence you to be angry. One more, th is that what you were gonna say? Okay. So, watch out for the angry person. Do not be friends with them because you will become angry as well. Now, isn't that a sobering command? Make no friendship with the angry person. <laughs> it's one thing to be told not to be friends with someone given to anger. But keep in mind, this command isn't just for you. This command is for everybody else in this room as well and everyone else who reads it. What if you are someone who tends to quietly roil in anger or even to explode from time to time. Did you know that wise people who love God have been commanded by God not to be friends with you? That ought to get our attention. And we see, as you pointed out, that the reason is because anger is contagious. If you get close to someone who has little self-control over their anger, you too will learn to vent your anger. You will have to do that just to keep up in relationship with the angry person. So if your closest friends tend to be angry people, it should not surprise you if you fail to find wisdom. If instead what you what you find is the ability to shout, to fight. You learn how to hold grudges. And if you too find yourself given to anger just to protect yourself, this is a snare. That's what it says at the end of verse 25. You've entangled yourself in a snare, so choose your friends wisely. Okay, next, 29, verse 5. Can I have a reader, please? Up here. Thanks. The microphone helps for the recording, too, for those who are going to listen to this afterward. Okay. 
Those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. Okay, who's the bad friend? This is so easy. Nobody wants to say the obvious, right? The flatterer? We're getting real simple here. The flatterer. Is that even a word? I don't yes. Know. Okay. <laughs> the flatterer. The person who flatters. What is flattery? It's like empty praise, basically. Empty praise. Okay. The, the flatterer is the person who always tells you what you want to hear about yourself, right? And you know, the flatterer might even say some things that are true. Maybe they exaggerate them, but that's all they tell you. This is the person who tells you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. Now, a person like that feels like a really great friend, don't they? Because you feel like a million bucks when you're around them. The problem, however, is you will never learn wisdom. Why will you never learn wisdom? What's the problem with having friends who flatter you? If they tell you what you want to hear, they're telling you what you already know. So if you already know it, you can't get more wisdom because it's what you already have. Okay. You can't get more wisdom unless people tell you things that you don't already know that you need. That's right. Um, you, don't you, you don't learn nothing. Like, you don't learn nothing. No. That's right. Somebody, if, you, if somebody tells you all you want to hear like 24-7, like, you don't learn anything. Agreed. You, you don't get anything from that. So you're not actually going anywhere. And they're not taking you anywhere. Except, actually, they are taking you somewhere. Where are they taking you? <laughs> Which is where? Who are they directing your attention to? Yourself. You want that kind of friend? Who wants you to keep thinking about how amazing you are? Another thought in the back? Truth isn't always comforting. And so if all you're being told is comfortable things, then you're missing a lot of truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And according to this verse, did you see how it describes it? The person who flatters you, what are they really doing to you? It says it right here. Here's my net. Let me put that rope up over the branch. Okay. Hey, oh man, you're you're so great. You're such a good friend. I'm glad you're my friend. You know, and you're 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 really pretty and smart it's just so great and they're just pulling on that rope while the net comes up till suddenly you're like floating up there and like hey hey bro how'd I get up here what, what's going on and it's because you're just being distracted by wanting to look at yourself that's what they're doing all right now flattery is not the same thing as praise I don't think Proverbs would say that your friends should never say nice things about you. That's not the opposite of flattery. Look at 27 verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. So there's nothing wrong with people praising you. There is such a thing as legitimate praise. 
the problem with flattery is if the praise is exaggerated, sometimes we think that's all flattery is though, it's, and it's not just if it's exaggerated, but if the praise is the only thing that they say about you. Yeah, thought back there. Say the uh, difference between flattery and praise would be honesty, where flattery is dishonest and praise is honest? Or... Not necessarily. I think flattery can be honest. There might be a distinction of honesty. I think more than that, there's a distinction of frequency. So if the only thing I ever do is praise you, then you ought to start wondering, like when, when people have n nothing to say about me but good and amazing things, I'm like starting to look around. I'm like starting to watch my back. What do, what do you want? What are you trying to get out of me? <laughs> and I, it, it, I start to not believe it. But, but it could be true. It doesn't have to be made up. In fact, they're not going to win you if they're saying something that's false. That's why flattery can be so deceptive. All right, so uh, here's another one. So we don't want friends who are flatterers. I'll add to that, we don't want friends who are mean all the time. You don't want people who are nothing but critical. That, that's not where we're going either. Let others praise you, and let's praise one another when God is at work. Let's go to 17.9. Can someone read that, please? 17.9, up here in the middle. And then I'll ask who's the bad friend and why. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Okay, who's the bad friend? Kyle has something to say. The friend that covers the offense, because they're, they're not telling you the truth. They're kind of hiding what they really think. Oh, the friend who covers the offense. Because, what'd you say? Okay, okay, I can see that maybe. Although, what does he say about the person who covers an offense here? They're seeking love. So, would you rather have a friend who tells you every single time you annoy them? Or the friend who's like, nah, girl, like, I, I just love you for, for you. I'm not going to hold that against you. Couldn't that be considered flattery? Good question. Good question. Could be, depending on how often it goes. But So I'm connecting this with another proverb that talks about love covers a multitude of evil. So this verse is actually contrasting two different things. There's a positive example and a negative example. So that first one is actually, I think, meant to be positive that you want friends who aren't going to criticize you over every, they're not going to nitpick every single thing you do wrong. You want people who are willing, out of love, because they love you, they're not going to hold every single thing against you, and they're not going to be touchy. You don't have to walk on eggshells around them. Okay, but the negative examples in the second half of the verse, by contrast, I'll just Mention it's right there. This is the person who repeats a matter. What's that talking about? What kind of person is that? I'm sorry, I can't hear. Nice and loud or ask for a mic. 
Like gossiping about it or like bringing it up over and over again? Gossiping, bringing something up over and over again. Yeah, and you know, gossip, gossip doesn't have to be false to be gossip. And actually, if gossip is false, it's not really called gossip, it's called slander. Gossip is true. It's true stuff, true stories that get passed around in unhelpful ways without talking to the person directly. So this person who repeats a matter is a person that, that gossips, and maybe it's not just malicious, but it's you confide in them about something, but then later you discover, oh, this other person knows about it, but I only ever told one person. So there's only one possible way that they know, well, okay, maybe two. Maybe they, you know, overheard it and I didn't realize they could overhear it. But most likely they were told by my friend. And what happens? Why is this a problem? Why do you not want to have that kind of friend? Harrison, you can't trust them because what do they do? The verse? They're going to tell everybody and that separates friendships. It actually causes divisions and it, it, it wrecks people. So a bad friend is the person who refuses to let things go. The person who holds grudges, person who is easily offended, and a person who doesn't know how to keep something in confidence. Gossip doesn't have to be bad news for it to be gossip. It could be something good. It could be something I'm really excited about that I shared, but all of a sudden I find out all these other people know about it when it wasn't their news to share. Now, I do want to say one thing while we're talking about confidence is that no relationship should ever be protected by 100% confidentiality. No relationship. Don't, a good friend will never promise, you know, hey, I got something to tell you. You got to promise me you'll never tell another soul. The best answer to that is, well, I'll do what I can, friend, but I actually can't promise you that I'll never tell another person. Because if you're about to confess to a crime or what you're about to tell me is going to cause real harm to yourself or to others, then I have to tell others because I love you too much. Okay, so knowing that, if you still want to tell me, please tell me. And other than those parameters, it's not going anywhere. So we don't fall into that trap and don't ask people to get something off your chest, oh, I just, I got to deal with my guilt by getting someone who's going to promise me 100% confidentiality. That's actually not a, a very loving thing, a kind thing to expect of people. Let me show you one more bad friend in Proverbs 23, 20, and 21. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with Rags. Isn't that striking? The Bible is such an ancient book, it just doesn't get the modern world, does it? Because the truth is that party animals always seem like they'll be good friends, don't they? You know, isn't this why we join some of the people, join some of the clubs that they join on campus? Or the fraternities or sororities Often, it's not the only reason to join those, uh, but how many people join them because of the opportunity to party 
Do you ever feel like you're missing out on good friendship if you're not invited to the right parties? Well, this teaches us that people who love to party, people who love to eat lots of great food and drink lots of great drink, they are usually not the best options for close friendship. And the reason given is that you will not learn wisdom from them. What you will learn instead is how to become poor, how, how to be clothed with rags, how to spend all your resources on these pleasures. Now, there's a time and a place for extravagance. We see that in the scriptures. But if, you know, times of celebration, graduation, parties, and, and good, good opportunities for that. But if someone's lifestyle is one of extravagance, then verse 20 says, be not among them. So there are a number of things to look out for. So you can avoid choosing bad friends. We've talked about greed and violence, anger, flattery, touchiness, gossip, drunkenness, gluttony. Maybe some of us need to look out for these things, not only in other people, but also in ourselves. That maybe there's some things here to cut out of our own lives so that we can be better friends to others. But show me your friends. And if what they demonstrate is greed, anger, flattery, touchiness, gossip, uh, the, the love of the party, one party to the next, then your odds of becoming wise are quite small. Bad friends will wreck you and cause you harm. That's the bad news. But there's good news as well, which is that the Lord has graciously given us insight into what makes for good friends, what sort of people will not stop us from wisdom, but spur us on in it? The wisdom of good friends. The most important thing to look for in a friend is to look for someone who knows how to love. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. And a brother or a sister is born for adversity. You see, a friend who loves is someone who doesn't live only for themselves. They are a person who seeks to understand you before they try to make you understand them. This is a person who associates with you not merely because of what they get out of the relationship. Because all friendships will face hardship. There will be situations where your loyalty to one another is put to the test. That is adversity. And there are some who were born for that. There are some who, though you are a sinner, though you do foolish and sinful things, though you hurt the people that you love from time to time, not on purpose, but because you haven't yet been made perfect, a good friend knows that her or his friends are sinners and that difficult times will come, and so they love you through it. Such love is often, as we already saw in 17 verse 9 above, that comes through covering over the sins we commit against one another. There are times when we need to have heart-to-heart and we need to, to talk about, hey, that really hurt me, that violated our friendship, can we talk about that and make it right? But there are hopefully way more times 
that I can be hurt by you, but I can be like, you know what? I know you're better than that, and I can get over it and not make such a big deal out of it, and so let's just move on. Let's cover it over. <clears throat> Look for the sort of friends who won't hold you captive to always pleasing them and never hurting them because that's not love. Wise friends will give each other the benefit of the doubt. And this often comes out in the way they speak to each other. The way friends speak to each other. Look at chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And this is back to what we saw about flattery. Beware the friend who always puffs you up and who speaks nothing but praise. You should long for friends who will wound you in the sense of telling you what you need to hear when you need to hear it. It does not mean that wise friends are mean. It does not mean that they nitpick. It just means that a true friend will help you to recognize in yourself the foolishness of your self-love. And they will help you to process your self-protective fears. And they will reflect to you the honest truth about the effects your actions are having on others. Are, are you sure you want to keep doing that? Do you see what happened when you did that, this happened? I think you're better than that. How can I help you? That's the kind of friend you want. This is why friends build a solid bank of trust in one another. That, and that can hurt, that, that wounds, but wounds from friends are faithful. And friends can go to one another for honest counsel when a decision or a situation isn't clear. Look at 27 verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So you see, a wise friend, you should write this. Think of your best friend. If what I'm describing, there's someone in your life like this, you should write them a thank you note and say, you are to me like a stick of deodorant. <laughs> Proverbs 27, 9. You are a squirt of perfume in my face. <clears throat> you see, because a good friend, a wise friend, makes you lovelier and more attractive for having known them. Their counsel meets the need of the moment. So pulling these together, we see that wise friends love often by choosing not to be offended by you all the time. Wise friends tell you what you need to hear such that you become a better and a sweeter person for having heeded their counsel. You see, wise friends don't merely have shared interests. So hopefully they have some shared interests. And wise friends don't merely have fun together, though they will have fun together. But the thing that characterizes wise friendship is improving one another. Friends help one another along on the journey of wisdom, which is a journey away from listening to myself, and instead I'm listening to the Lord and moving toward him. 
and wise friends help each other on that journey. So I dare you to show me your friends. And if I see people who love, people who have thick skin, people who say what must be said and who can offer counsel that points in the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ, then your odds at finding wisdom are amazing. This is why I love our Disciple Makers staff team and the friends that I have on this team. We have incredible amounts of fun together. But these women and men whom I get to serve with are not only fellow laborers in Christ, but they are good friends to me and to each other. And I have seen each of our staff grow wiser for having each other as their friends. It's a privilege to be a part of that. And this implies a rather sobering application, which is that the sort of people who, who would be wise friends, the sort of people who make for wise friends, guess who they are looking for to be their friends? They're looking for wise friends. So as I tell my kids all the time, they could repeat my mantra for you. If you want to have good friends, the most important thing is you've got to be a good friend. If you can't be a good friend, you'll never have good friends because they don't want to be good friends, don't want to be around you. So are you the sort of person who is willing to speak difficult truth when it needs to be spoken, but you're not touchy and offended when everything doesn't go your way? Have you stored up wisdom from God's word that can provide sweet and beautifying counsel to others? Do you know how to love your friends even when it's costly to you or it hurts you to do so? So your friends are the best indicator of whether you will find wisdom. And you are the best indicator of whether your friends will ever find wisdom. That's quite a high bar set by God's word. And for that reason, sometimes I see people reject friendship altogether, thinking they're going to do just fine in life on their own. And other times people idolize friendship, believing that they just can't live without their friends. But Proverbs has one last thing to say about friendship that I want to end on, which helps us to see the errors of both isolation from friendship and idolization of friendship. That last thing is that there is a sort of best friend who is better than you can imagine. You can see him in Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, wise friends will have a greater impact on you than ties of blood ever can. It's one thing to have loads of friends. You know, for you guys, you have, a, you have it so well. Today, unlike when I was, when I was your age, <laughs> you can have not only hundreds of friends, you can have thousands of them. Social media <laughs> makes it work, right? But there is a friend. There is that one friend who sticks closer than a brother, the sort of friend who never leaves your side, who is always there when you need them. Wouldn't it be great if you, could, if you didn't have to walk through life misunderstood and abandoned? 
If only you could find that one person who can complete your sentences, the person who knows how to read your body language when nobody else can see through your forced smiles, the person who not only loans you your stuff when you need some help, but actually works with you to help you get out of debt and makes you wiser for it in the long run? Well, there is such a friend available to every one of us if only we would recognize him for what he is. You see, on the night before he died, Jesus Christ said this to his students. You can see in John 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No, whoops, sorry, I'm over time. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You see, Jesus was about to pay for the sin of the world by giving up his life, and three days later, God the Father would raise him from the dead and hand over to him all the kingdoms of heaven and earth to become his own. And the one who never had a beginning, the one who was always in perfect love and friendship with the Father and the Spirit, he now speaks to those who love him, and he says, no longer do I call you servants. I call you my friends. You see, Jesus is the best friend we could ever have. If ever there was a person who could make his friends into wiser people just for knowing him, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks God's word to us, not always telling us what we want to hear, but certainly what we need to hear. And his word changes us from the inside out so that he can bring us to God, which is the definition of the path of wisdom. So please understand, in the end, your friends cannot give you the life that you want, but the Lord Jesus can. And so as you trust him today and you trust him tomorrow and you walk with him this week, the wisdom of God is yours, and you can be to others the sort of friend that he has been to you. So show me your friends. Show me Jesus as your best friend, and I'll see your tremendous odds at finding the wisdom of God. Let me pray, and we'll go to lunch. Father, thanks so much for this time. Thank you, Jesus, for making us your friends even when we were fools and we could do you no good, but you set your heart on us just because you loved us and you are now making us to be the sort of friends that you have been to us. Help us to go and find such friends and to be such friends as we recognize that our friends are way more important than we ever thought. Help us to be wise and to know you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.